Would you just pray with me? God, that is the cry of our heart today. God, I came in this morning with a heavy burden on my back, but you have lifted it, God. I can't live without you. I can't live without this community, God, that lifts me when I need them to, that bears the burden with me and carries me. God, we just thank you for your spirit that's already here in the room. Would you fall on us? Would you move in the pews? Would you speak to us, God? God, we thank you. Thank you for being faithful to being here, being present with us today. We pray for your continued blessing and presence and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Our speaker this morning is Reverend Dr. Sam Vassell. Yeah, if, if you do not know who Dr. Vassell is, you're just in for a treat this morning. He is the leader of our Nazarene churches in the Metro New York District. He's been a pastor. Uh, he's been a pastor for 40 years, more than 40 years. And he is going to bless us today. So would you welcome him, Dr. Sam Vassell, come and speak to It's a real privilege to be here with you at Eastern Nazarene College. Every time I've come here, I've had a tremendous sense of God's presence and a sense of the historic work of God in the lives of people. Um, one of the very important books to read is called Unto Holiness, written by a scholar pastor who was a pastor of this church and a historian, Timothy Smith. And it really gives you a real sense of the call, the call of the Church of the Nazarene and its roots in commitment to both personal piety and compassionate engagement with people in the world. Thank you very, very much for inviting me to speak and sharing this time with you in chapel. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Thank you that when your spirit fills us, we speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make music from our hearts to you. Thank you that when your spirits fill us, you give us perspective, the perspective that enables us to be grateful, grateful instead of grumble. Thank you that when your spirit fills us, you give us a sense that we are reflecting the spirit of Jesus and serving one another, washing one another's feet, submitting ourselves to one another out of the fear of God. We pray that in the name of Jesus, there would be a manifestation of your spirit. For Lord, it is so important 
your holy apostle, our brother, Apostle Paul said that when he speaks about you, he doesn't speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom. But he speaks with the spirit and power of God. We pray in the name of Jesus that the miracle of Christian preaching in Christian worship will happen and that everybody in this experience will understand the presence of God. For you have said that when we gather like this and gather like this in your name, you are in the midst of us. So give me clarity. So that I will be clear, very clear in my mind, as to what you're saying to the people you love. Give me cogency, so that what you say, I will be able to say specifically in ways that your people will understand. Most of all, Lord, I pray that you would grip my heart with the message of your word, that your word will be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Give me conviction. Give me a deep sense of knowing that this is true and that people that gather to worship you now will know the truth. And the truth will set them free. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We ask you this in the name of Jesus. Today I bear witness, I share with you the position of the Christian preacher, which is an acknowledgement an acknowledgement that the message, the Christian message, is, is challenging. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said to them that the message, the message that is essentially the Christian message, is, and he makes the point throughout this writing, understandably foolishness the message is under yeah thank you the message is understandably foolishness to some people for paul who was very forthright he said the message was foolishness to people who are perishing and um, we don't want to sort of be judgmental to say that people are perishing in a judgmental way. But it is really the thrust of the world in which Paul found himself, which is not really very different from the world in which we find ourselves. People who are groping for a sense of significance, 
people who are groping for a sense of hope, the, the epidemic of drug abuse, the epidemic of suicide among all ages and all classes, makes the point that this is a context in which people long for hope. The, 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 the Christian message, as Paul says it, is, is, is foolishness to people who are really devoid of real, significant living. Those that are perishing. To us who are saved, the Christian message that I bear witness to, to us who are saved. And we do not say this again patronizing anybody. It is our experience we have to speak about something that we have been rescued from. Something that we have experienced. To us who are saved, one of the ways that we, we can talk about it is to those of us who have experienced the life of God, to those of us who have been engaged with the very life of God and have become, by God's wonderful love and by God's wonderful mercy, part of God's family, to those of us who are being saved, we are experiencing in this life of God the very power of God. We bear witness. So the Apostle Paul says, in the capital city of the time, he writes to the Romans, he says, I am I'm therefore, and I stand before you, my young brothers and sisters, at the cusp of life, when you prepare yourself to engage life, through studies in higher education. I say to you the words of the ancient apostle. I am not ashamed. I don't come to you today with a sense of foreboding, a sense of embarrassment. I am very confident of this message. This message about Jesus of Nazareth who is God's reflection and God's agent. For this message, instead of causing me to languish in a state of hopelessness and lacking with significance, has given me an experience of the life of God. I am not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God to salvation. Admittedly, however, Christian preachers understand that it is challenging. It is a challenging thing to really accept this message. This message that is the essential message of the Christian gospel. It has never been an easy message to accept. It first came into being within the Jewish context of the first century. And they were sure that anybody who was executed, especially 
by crucifixion was a person designated to be a curse. And the Christian gospel to them had to be something dismissed. For the Christian gospel, the Christian message was saying that Jesus of Nazareth, a peripatetic preacher walking around, executed by the Romans by means of crucifixion, a shameful display of human weakness, that this person was God's special agent to bring his future into being. For those people, understandably, this must be dismissed as foolishness. The person who is hung on a tree is accursed. How are you going to say that this person is God's instrument to bring in God's certain future? I understand that must have been difficult. But, you know, their wider context, the Greco-Roman world, found that this message was also very difficult. We have in Acts chapter 17... A, a, a sort of story in which the Apostle Paul, again, is, is talking to some people who are reflective. They are uh, a community of, of, of the mind, influenced by two prevailing philosophies of the day. Stoicism, which had to do with the respect of the universe, a sense that that, that to, be, to be a person alive in the universe had to be a person of, of, of great respect and significance. Stoicism was, 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 was a philosophy which said that, that, that harmony with the universe is very important and reflecting a kind of lifestyle that took its place in the universe was paramount and out of which came lifestyle, ethics, and so on. Stoicism was, was, was prevalent in, 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 in Athens, where Paul spoke. The other philosophy was Epicureanism, a philosophy which said, listen, life was short, and it must be engaged fully, enjoyed to the max, it is something that should be taken on face value. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You're alive now. Let's do it. Well, in the context of these two philosophies competing, Paul spoke about this message, this message about Jesus, this message about God. Engaging the world, engaging people, God being available to people so that people could share God's life. And at the end of his talk, he said that God had given assurance to everybody that God was engaging with people 
by raising Jesus from the dead. Well, that was where they lost him. You are saying that a man who was alive and a man who was an ordinary man like us died and rose again? The intellectuals of Athens said to Paul, listen, that is foolishness. It's a hard thing to believe that a man, people who die do not rise from the dead. They live their lives with significance. We know what they do, but when they die, they are dead. The Christian gospel says that a man, a man reflecting the very essence of God, the very person of God, walked around, was crucified, executed as a criminal in the most shameful way. And then the Christian gospel says, he rose from the dead. Well, that was where the Christian gospel was considered foolishness by the Greco-Roman world. Because that's hard to understand. People do not rise from the dead. We can understand the skepticism that the Christian gospel had in the first century in which it was first proclaimed. We can understand it because it is no less a problem now. If it was a scandal to the Jewish people that the central figure in the Christian gospel was a crucified criminal, if it was a scandal to the Greco-Roman world that the Christian gospel was saying that its central figure is somebody who rose from the dead. Can you imagine in this day and age that the Christian gospel is saying that this central figure is the only way we can engage God. This is a time when the philosophy we all embrace is a philosophy of pluralism where different people believe different things. Different people believe different things about family. Different people believe different things about governance. Different people believe different things about economics. There are different educational systems and there are different religious systems. We are in a global village and we have engaged with a global community. This is not a time for colonialism. This is a time for pluralism. Why should you believe you should impose your religious thought on anybody else? According to the people who think about this, there's a collapse of any kind of colonialistic hegemony. No religion has any right to tell everybody that this is the only way. If the Jewish Christians were scandalized by a crucified Christ, if the Greco-Roman world 
was scandalized by a Christ who died and rose again. 2018, as a Christian preacher, I am scandalized by coming to a group of university students and saying, as your motto on your crest implies, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Via veritas, vita. That is what ENC says in 2018. One way. Neither is there salvation in any other than Jesus. What? Don't you know about pluralism? Don't you know that we are anti-colonial? How are you going to say that the only way to God is Jesus? So, with the rest of the Christian community over the years, we say, I'm not ashamed. Not in an arrogant way. But because of the weakness we bear for those people who scoff at its message, find that they grope for hope, they grope for love, they grope for the life of God. But those of us who take the risk on the basis of that which is beyond reason to accept, accept its message. Find that we have an experience of life. God's life. We have an experience of hope. And because we have God's life, we have an experience of love. A God kind of love that does not only love those who love them, but love those who are enemies. So, the message that we bring is a message that still is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are saved, the message is the power of God. We are experiencing God's life. We are experiencing God's own life. God shares his life with us. And the sharing of God's life in us causes us to represent and reflect God in the world. Now, I wish that we did it more perfectly. I wish that we did it more better. Because we would love like God loves. We would love people who are otherwise condemned by others. We would love those who are marginalized. We would love the people who religious people pass on the other side because they don't want to get involved. If we loved like God consistently, we would be a reflection of God in the world. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this message. For it is the power of God where people who believe it experience the very life 
of God. For that crucified Christ, according to our gospel, he became what we are so that we might become who he is. What he did on that cross was not just a criminal dying, but he died there to exchange his life with us. When we have his life, we have the very life of God. And that is salvation. Today, whoever you are, I challenge you, I invite you. You see, your generation is willing to take risks. Your generation will give this a chance for your people who recognize the importance of truth. Truth that is not just perspective, but something real, genuine, something reliable, something right. I ask you, even as you enjoy this time of learning here at ENC, that among the things you do is open yourself to the possibilities of God. For as many as receive him, Jesus says, become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. You can experience the very presence of God. It's beyond reason. Although our faith is reasonable, it is not really something that you can reason into. Jesus asked his disciples one time, who do people say I am? And they gave the perspectives. It's very important to understand perspective. What are perspectives on Jesus? And just as today, there are varying perspectives on who he was. Now, there, were, there were varying perspectives then, and there are varying perspectives now. So his disciples gave him some of those perspectives. And then he asked the question that is a question that I'd like to put to every human being in this worship context. But who do you say that I am? I believe that there was a silence and Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, broke the silence and said, you are the Christ. It's a code word in our biblical scriptures. It is, it is a code word to say you are God's instrument. You are the person that will bring God's future into reality. You are the Christ. You are the shearer of God's own essence, the son of the living God. And you know what Jesus said to him? Nobody that is human has been able to reveal that to you. You have not come to that because somebody has shown you a reasonable conclusion. You have come to that because my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. You know what I'm praying for right now in this chapel? That the living God would reveal to you the significance of who Jesus is. And in that revelation by the power of God's own presence, 
you would experience the life of God that will cause you as a person engaged with God to experience what we call the power of the resurrection. To know that our God is never in despair or never in a situation where there is hopelessness. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates to us that God can change any situation. God can change any situation. And you can know that personally because you can experience God's power. More than that, you can experience God's presence. And you will know, one of the, the writings in our scriptures say that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love people. It's not something that we make up or try to even work up. Because of God's presence in us, because we now share God's life, we find that God's life in us love people who are even people that are not lovely. Because we're not loving people by natural affection. We're loving them because of God's presence. What a world it would be. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. What a world it would be if people walked around with a hope and knowing that there is nothing that is impossible for God can change any situation. Can you imagine the hopefulness that would be in this world? And that can be your personal experience. And what a world it would be <laughs> if instead of the hate that is so ugly in this world, there was a world in which there was the love of God pervading people and moving people to act in loving compassion with one another. Whereas my dream of a world that has that as the status quo might be far-fetched, I know that you personally can experience this hope. I know that if today you receive by faith God's offer of himself, you can experience in your personal life the life of God that will change you as it has changed me. Somebody is coming now to, to pray. And I'm going to invite everybody. Maybe you haven't prayed for a long time. Really, just, 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 just talking to God. But this is a great time in your life to say, God, if you're there, if you are real, if you are reliable, if what they are saying is right, I open myself to you. And as I open myself to you, I ask you to take my life so that I can have your life. I did that, and God came. And what he has done for me, he can do for you. you could bow your head with me as we pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord Almighty God, we thank you for both this challenging and encouraging message today. Mighty God, we know, mighty God, that the message can be of Jesus Christ can be very challenging to accept. Um, we know that in this day and age, uh, many people do think of the word of God as foolishness. And according to the world, there are many other viable ways to live, mighty God. But I am, I am encouraged, mighty God, when I think about the love of God and just how powerful it is and how it does teach us to love those that would other way, otherwise we could think of them as unlovable. I mean, God's love reaches so far and there is nothing like it. And I just pray, mighty God, as we uh, leave this place today and as we uh, finish out our day, that the love of God will follow us. I pray it will remain with us, mighty God, because we can't live without you. And I think about the song that was sung at the beginning, mighty God, of this service and how powerful it is and how we need you, how we need your love, mighty God, and how others need your love and how we can be a vessel for your love for others. I pray you will keep that in our mind today, mighty God. And as we pass our brothers and sisters, I pray we will share that love. And I just pray as we leave your house, but not your presence, that you will go with us. And I pray you'll bless every single one of us this day, mighty God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.